How chilling was it the first time that you saw somebody lose their life? Wow. You know, the first time I seen someone lose their life, it was shocking. And I had seen it after that. And, and there's two instances that stick in my mind that actually weren't at Big Sandy. They were in USP Lee. There was a guy that had um, did something wrong and some gang members had sent him up top. What up top means is they tell him, hey, you got to go. You got to leave the compound. You're going to PC. So this guy went to PC. He came out because the staff at the prison said, no, you know what? I don't think there's a threat to you, so we're sending you back out. So the guy comes back out. He has a knife on him now. He's serving a 20-year sentence. The guys that told him he had to go up top, they surround him, tell him, you got to leave. He pulls out a knife. He stabs the guy in the chest. The guy jumps back, and he he starts swearing. And says, oh, you stab me. He puts his hands up, and he's ready to fight. And within 20 seconds, he's moving around, and I watched him fall to the ground. Sean Dustin spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. Upon release in 2006, he had nothing but the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and legal paperwork. In 2010, he kicked a longtime methamphetamine habit and started the long climb back up the ladder of life. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. If you want transparency and authenticity, you're in the right place. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and this is Sean Dustin. What's up? This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and I am your host, Sean Dustin. Uh, if this is your first time listening, welcome. If you're returning, well, if you're returning, welcome back. It's good to have you with us here. Uh, today I've got a great guest lined up for you. Uh, but first, if you're watching from YouTube, do me a favor, hit that subscribe button in the corner and thumbs this video up. If you're watching on Facebook, man, do me a great big favor and share this video because if you don't, Facebook won't promote it. So it's going to depend on you, the, the watcher, the listener, you guys out there who are who are supporting me. Share this video so everybody can see it. It's going to be a good one. Uh, if you're on the podcast platforms, do me a favor as well. Subscribe. If you subscribe to me while you're listening to this show, that will make me more visible on the podcast platforms. Absolutely, it will. Uh, other than that, if you are liking what I'm doing, if you're enjoying the content that I'm putting out, do me a favor and go to my Patreon and support the show there monetarily if you can. All right. I know we're in some tough times right now, honestly. And if you can do it, that's fine. A dollar, three dollars, five dollars, ten dollars. Those are my those are my tiers. All right. If you can do that for me, at least a dollar. I mean, I, I mean, what's a dollar? You know, it's not a whole lot. Uh, I put a lot of I put a lot of time and a lot of effort into these videos. Sometimes it takes me, you know, anywhere from four hours to six hours to build this whole thing out after everything gets done. So I would definitely appreciate it. But I also appreciate you following me and appreciate you watching the show. So now, without further ado, I got Chad Marks in the green room right now. Now, for those of you who don't know who Chad is, Chad has got a big time comeback story. And he just launched an episode, his first episode on YouTube, and it's called Blood on the Razor Wire. 
And I suggest you go check this out after you watch this video or watch this uh, this live stream. Uh, definitely, man. I watched it. And, and here's a little bit of a backstory on this, right? So one of my Patreon subscribers shot me the link to the video because uh, she I interviewed her brother, Paul Kratzis. And she's a fan of, of Chad. And so I went and watched this video. And I got to tell you, this cat is the real deal for sure. You know, from what he did while he was in prison, he got a 40 year sentence on a, on a drug charge with, without violence, right? He got that sentence knocked down to 20 years because of his good behavior inside and everything that he was doing, man. I got to tell you, go read the description, read his bio. This guy is legit and he's a dynamite speaker, man. So, uh, you know what? Let me stop pumping him up. And let me get him in here, man. I'm super excited to have Chad. What's up, brother? What's going on, Sean? I appreciate you having me. I appreciate you coming and and, uh, and talking on the show. We did this, you know, rather quickly. I uh, watched your episode yesterday, and I was so like moved. And when that happens to me, man, and I and I'm a fan, and I become a fan, I become a super fan. And that means I'm going to promote you. I'm going to do everything I can to elevate what you're doing and be an amplification and an amplifier of boosting your signal. So I definitely want you got a great story and I can't wait to hear it. Well, again, I appreciate you having me. As far as my story, my name's Chad Marks at the age of 24. I was sentenced in federal court to a 40 year mandatory minimum. I went to prison. I could have went down the wrong road. And I always say there's two roads, right? One for good, one for bad. And I, you know, in the beginning of my journey, I wasn't always a nice guy, but I ended up turning my life around. I earned a college degree. I taught classes in prison, leaders breed leaders. I facilitated alternative violence project seminars. I had a fast track GED program. But I spent most of my time in the law library learning the law because I knew that the only way I would ever get out of prison was if I fought for myself, I was able to learn the law and help a bunch of other people get out of prison. And I enjoyed every bit of that. But the problem was I was still sitting in prison. In 2018, the first step back was passed. There was an argument to be made that if you can prove there's extraordinary and compelling reasons for a reduction in sentence, then your judge could release you or reduce your sentence. Same, you know, you spoke about Paul Crotus. Same thing happened with Paul as well. So I was able to have my 40-year sentence reduced to 20 years based on a change to the 924C stacking laws, although they weren't retroactive, in conjunction with my rehabilitation. The judge felt that there was extraordinary compelling reasons, reduced my sentence, and I'm now here and thankful. Yeah, that's awesome, man, because, you know, a lot of guys, you know, when they get into the system and, you know, when when things just aren't looking good and it doesn't seem like there's light at the tunnel, sometimes it goes the opposite way for them and they start acting out and and going a different direction uh, in, in prison, right behind the walls. And they make the time a little bit more difficult for them. And you didn't do that. Well, in the beginning, I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't always a nice guy. I went to the most dangerous federal prison in the United States, at least in my view. I was in USP Big Sandy. It's a maximum security prison. People were being killed there. Stabbings happened on a daily basis. I've seen some really bad stuff. And it was more of a dog-eat-dog world. If you weren't a tough guy, you weren't going to survive. So you had to become something that you didn't want to become in order to survive. And I did that. 
But I was able to get my points down and work my way down to a medium security prison. When I was able to do that, some of the tension was released. You know, there wasn't, you know, blood everywhere, so to speak. So when I went to Raybrook, that's when I started to change my life in 2010. I started the program, started to educate myself, started learning the law. Actually, I was learning the law before then, but I really put it in high gear in Raybrook and just said, look, you know, I don't want to live this life. I don't want to be behind bars for the rest of my life, walking around with a pocket full of stamps and a knife in my waist and just didn't want to do that. So I took the negative energy and turned it into a positive. And I learned that, you know, we have to become the change that we seek to see in others. And I wanted to change and I wanted to see that change for other people. And that's when I started to educate myself and I took that other path, ended up earning a college degree. And, you know, all those things ended up, you know, working out years later. I didn't, I couldn't foresee that the first step would be passed in 2018. I just knew that I wanted to change my life and I wanted to be a better person. So things ended up working out years later in 2018 for me and I was released from prison. Yeah, that uh, that's where I ended up was in a medium. I, I, I luckily I didn't have to go to to the to the big boy's house, you know. And I was, I was, I was. I'm gonna be honest. I was afraid. I was scared when I got when I got to uh, when I got to prison. Um, I went to state prison first, and I went to a, a high security there. And then when I went to, uh, I was in uh, FCI Sheridan, and it. I was lucky. You know, and I didn't have a whole lot of time to do. Um, but still, I mean, you know, losing your freedom is losing your freedom. So when you got to, uh, uh, USP, uh, what, what do they call it? Sandy? Big Sandy and I know. Okay. When you got there, well, I mean, what, what was that like for you, man? When you, when you first walked through the doors, knowing you got 40 years, uh, and you're on a, you're on a, in a maximum security, what, what was that like, man? Were you scared? Were you like, what, what, run, walk me through that? Let me tell you this. There's a lot of tough guys in this world, right? And I always thought I was a tough guy. But when you get there, you're around real tough guys. My first day there, there was a group of guys, and, you know, there's cars in prison, what people call cars. Like, if you're from New York, you're going to be in the New York car. You know, if you're a gang member, then you're going to be in whatever gang that you're in. So when I get there, the, Black New York car, one of their guys slapped the CO. I wasn't there two hours. And he slapped the CO in the day room. And the CO grabbed his face and said, you know, what was that for? And this group of 30 guys surrounded the the officer, right, the guard. It was at that point that I said, yeah, everything that I heard about this prison is true. So walking in there, I was a little intimidated. I was a little bit scared. But there was also a part, Sean, where I didn't really care if I lived or died at that point, I was sentenced to 40 years at the age of 24 for a nonviolent drug crime. And I was being thrown into a prison with killers. So there was a point where I was like, if they kill me, then I don't have to do the 40 years. And, you know, it's sad to say something like that, but it was true. I mean, there was a part of me that was fearful, but there was another part of me that just didn't care. And that's what the problem is in a maximum security prison with guys that got 30, 40 years life. You've already taken everything from them. There's nothing left to lose. So there's nothing left to fear, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's why it's so dangerous. Guys have no problem stabbing guys, killing people, because they're never going home anyway. There's nothing you can do to hurt them. You've already done it. Yeah, yeah. Now, when I was watching the uh, the uh, your first episode, right, uh, Blood on the Razor Wire, excellent show, man. The 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 amount of control and the way that you speak. Uh, it, it took me a while to be able to speak the way that I do. And it took going to Toastmasters and it took being really conscious of, of all that. And it seems like it's just so effortless for you. 
And in that, you, you really got raw, real and authentic in the stories that both you and dog told, right? That, cause that was your guest, right? Big dog. And, uh, you know, those stories were really impactful and almost to the point where I was like, whoa, you know, because when you, the thing, some of the things that you were describing, most people will never experience in their life. You know, and, and somewhere close to American me is probably the closest that you might see that sort of reality, you know, that of what happens there. Cause I, I haven't seen any, you know, prison movies since that one that, you know, would make me even think closely to that's what it was. But how chilling was it the first time that you saw somebody lose their life? Wow. You know, the first time I seen someone lose their life, it was shocking, and I had seen it after that. And, and there's two instances that stick in my mind that actually weren't at Big Sandy. They were in USP Lee. There was a guy that had um, did something wrong, and some gang members had sent him up top. What up top means is they tell him, hey, you got to go. you got to leave the compound. You're going to PC. So this guy went to PC. He came out because the staff at the prison said, no, you know what? I don't think there's a threat to you, so we're sending you back out. So the guy comes back out. He has a knife on him now. He's serving a 20-year sentence. The guys that told him he had to go up top, they surround him, tell him, you got to leave. He pulls out a knife. He stabs the guy in the chest. The guy jumps back, and he he starts swearing. And says, oh, you stabbed me. And he puts his hands up, and he's ready to fight. And within 20 seconds, he's moving around, and I watched him fall to the ground. And this guy only had about eight months left in prison. But he was the tough guy that wanted to send the other guy up top, and he died right there on the sidewalk. Another shocking time, uh, both myself and uh, Dog or Dog Pound, we were at USP Lee, and there was a disagreement over a card game. And one of the guys was drinking. He was from Virginia. And he pulled his shirt up, you know, and he said, yeah, I'll put that knife in you. So when he pulls his shirt up, he doesn't have a knife. But the other guy had a knife. That guy jumps up, starts stabbing him. And I seen the blood was black. And I said, wow, that dude's going to die. And he told the guy, he said, don't kill me, man. Don't kill me. And he said, he actually told me, he said, it's too late for that. And he killed the dude right there about three cells away from my cell. And I watched that dude die. And that always affected me. And, you know, sometimes it affects me now. I think about it once in a while. The guy was eventually, the guy, that guy went to prison, I want to say, with seven years. He ended up selling someone heroin. They overdosed in prison in a medium. They gave him another 20 years, sent him to the penitentiary. And he was serving a 27-year sentence now, seven for the first charge, 20 for the second. And now he ended up with a life sentence. He was convicted at trial of killing that dude. And, you know, and, you know, I'm going to tell you the truth in the prison sense, that guy was an all right guy. He was real respectful in the unit. And then I watched him kill that dude. And it was just, it stuck with me man, all my life, it stuck with me all my life. Yeah. I couldn't imagine that, man. I, 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 I can't, I can't imagine that, you know, I, I, I couldn't imagine watching somebody die in that way, especially when somebody's begging for their life and he's just like, man, I can't, there's nothing I can do about it, man. That's cold. Shocking. <laughs> so yeah. All right. Well, that's enough of that. We, we don't need, um, so let, 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 let's, let's get on to some, uh, some of the other things that you're, you're, you're doing and you're trying to do. So you're, uh, down there, you've got some, uh, you know, the whole reason why you're doing blood on the razor wire and you got a book and, and you're doing the show, but it's to, kind of implement a different way of doing um, uh, Scared Straight, right? Well, I'm not a fan of Scared Straight, and I'm going to tell you why. I went to Scared Straight, right? And I just thought, like, 
ah, this is a joke, man. I thought it was cool at the age of 15. Scared straight didn't scare me. I'm from New York. I went to Attica, you know, famous, infamous Attica prison riots in the 70s. And I just thought it was kind of cool. So I think that's the wrong approach with kids. I think being real, being real gives the kids some real insight. It's the small things, going to bed hungry at night, not having your family there to say, or even your mom say, Mom, I love you. Have a good night. Or being there for your mother when she needs you. You know, it's those small things that matter. And our mission with Blood on the Razor Wire is to gain the interest, right, through our prison stories, but make it a teachable moment. And what I mean by that is to educate them, educate them on the realities, that this isn't cool, that you can be so much more than your situation. So, you know, our our thing is to save kids from life imprisonment and premature death because there's kids dying on the streets. Kids are killing kids. And there's also kids dying in federal courtrooms and state courtrooms. And what I mean by that, Sean, is this. You take a 16-year-old kid, he kills somebody, and he ends up with 50 years to life. So when he's 66 years old in the state of New York, he can see the parole board. His life's gone. Life as he as he knew it is forever gone. And I want to save kids from that. I don't want to see kids beefing on, you know, a text over a girl or on Facebook, you know, so, well, meet me over here. And then they show up and guess what? The guy shoots the guy, you know, two families are destroyed. This guy's going to prison for the rest of his life. Two mothers lose their sons. So if I can help change that, I want to be a part of that. Like I said, and, and you know, you got these kids that some of these kids are, are good kids. A lot of these kids are good kids. And, and I'm a firm believer that when two elephants fight, the ground suffers. So mm. if I can change that, I want to be a part of that. Mm, mm. That's that, that, that a good, that was a good one, man. I like that one. I like, I like, I like what you put down right there, man. Uh, and that's super respectful, man. I'm, I'm in the same boat. You know, I'm doing, I'm doing my thing as well, you know, for 18, 18 to 24 year old transitional age youth, uh, coming back from incarceration into my community. So I definitely commend you for that. And we are both on the same page. And at some point, uh, if you need help with, uh, starting a nonprofit organization for yourself, I have the person to do that that did mine pro bono. So that, that'll save you plenty of money right there. And I'm, she, I'm sure she'll be more than willing to help you out with that. So I appreciate you. Yep. Yep. Uh, you know, the, the, the main point is, is I think that, you know, in our society right now, the only people that are going to help the formerly incarcerated or the people that are in prison are, are prisoners or people that have been there themselves. Right. Because the state's not going to do anything for you. The federal government's not going to do anything for you. I mean, yeah, they did the, the, the first step act, but I mean, that's just a small piece of, of the help. But on this other side over here, you've got the conspiracy charge, which is wrapping people up for exorbitant amounts of time and decades off of their life for, I mean, just drug crimes. Like now were you, now here's a question I have for you. Were you a hustler or a drug addict? Well, Sean, I never used drugs ever in my life. Okay. Never even smoked weed. I don't even drink coffee. Don't smoke. Don't do drugs, anything like that. I was a drug dealer. Okay. Um, not proud to say that. I made some irrational, irresponsible choices that I deeply regret. And I can tell you that I was a product of my environment and all of that. But at the end of the day, I made those decisions. And, you know, there was consequences that come with them. But, yeah, I was a hustler. Okay. Okay. Yep. I mean – Either way, you, you got swapped in, uh, sucked into a conspiracy charge, which, you know, if that was probably, uh, I mean, you're, you're, you're dealing, you're, you're, I mean, it's drugs, you know, uh, people that are doing them and people that are selling them. I, I don't believe that there's any reason why anybody should do more than five years on, on a drug charge. 
You know, it just doesn't make any sense, especially for people that are addicts. You know, and, and a lot of the times, and I've talked to a bunch of folks in Texas that, you know, wrapped up in, uh, uh, the Northern District of Texas with, uh, uh, there's a, what's his name? John, John, uh, oh man, I can't remember what his name is. There's a, there's a judge out there that's just handing time out like crazy. And, oh, but, um, McBride. Yeah, McBride. And his whole, and his whole deal was, is that he lost his son, uh, to addiction. So now, you know, to drugs. And so now when people come in there, he's just, he's hammering them and he lords over his cases, even though he's not seeing taking any new cases, you still have to, if you want an appeal or you want any kind of like, you know, like for you, like the first step back when you're trying to get a compassionate release or, or clemency, it has to go through him still. And well, I got a case in front of him right now, you know, that I'm working on uh, for a guy named Joseph Mesa. Mm-hmm. Joseph was, I want to say, in his early 20s, did a couple robberies with a BB gun, and he gave him 80 years. Since he's been in prison, he's completed over 200 programs. He's earned a college degree. He's the lead man at the uh, Unicor factory. And it's an uphill battle. You know, Congress recently said that the charges that he was sentenced under are wrong, but did not make them retroactive. However, Judge McBride has the discretion to reduce that sentence. Will he do so? I sure hope so. I'd like to hope so. Let's say that, but He's denied so many compassionate release motions for people that deserve them. So it's it's definitely an uphill battle for people for people like him, people that are in front of Judge McBride. And hopefully, uh, maybe he'll step down from the bench. He's about ninety something years old. Yeah, I couldn't think of a better time. Yeah, Bush Senior is the one that appointed him. So that that tells you how old that dude is. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely sad, you know, and I've, and I've talked to, like I said, like 10 different folks that I've got, you know, on, on, on recordings, um, telling me their stories about their cases and, you know, the, the, the silliness that went on with it, you know, they get importation charges and, you know, they're, they're getting hit with like 50 kilos. Some of these people, you wouldn't let hold $50, let alone give 50 kilos. You know, they didn't even have a car to bring the, bring the drugs over from Mexico. So, like, how does that happen? Well, what happens is, you know, they got this thing called relevant conduct, and Congress is working on that now. And I hope that they change that. So a guy could be arrested with 50 grams of crack. Let's let's use the crack analogy, right? A guy could be arrest, arrested with 50 grams of crack. They charge him with 50 grams or more, right? So now, once you go to court, you plead guilty, and the judge tells you, you know, you're pleading guilty. But, you know, I have the authority to find whatever I want. The PSI might say a few things, but I can actually do whatever I want. And you're going to agree to this. And guys are standing there with their lawyer. The lawyer's tapping them. Yeah, just say, yeah, everything's going to be okay. Like, yes, I understand. I understand. Then when you go to court to get sentenced, you thought you were getting 10 years. Now with people like Judge McBride, you end up with 40 years. Because as you know what, I think there was, you know, I think you sold 50 grams every day for the last six months. And I'm going to add all that up, and now I'm going to sentence you for that. I mean, it's outrageous, but that's what they do. And they only have to prove, not even beyond a reasonable doubt, it's only a preponderance of the evidence. And to give your viewers an idea of what that really is, is think of a football field. They just got to get over the 50-yard line to the 51-yard line, and that's good enough to enhance your sentence from 10 years to 40. It's even life. I've seen it done numerous times, and a lot with Judge McBride. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it really, there, there's no more, uh, investigative work that goes into, to investigating a case anymore. All you need to do is find somebody that's willing to tell on you and corroborate that, that 
story you just said. Oh yeah, yeah. He sold me, uh, you know, a pound or a kilo, you know, every week for a year. And, you know, that's just, that's ridiculous. And, and I actually saw or heard that he said, cause somebody actually, uh, one of the, the lawyers actually, you know, objected. And the one thing that he does in his court is if you object, then he immediately takes away your acceptance. Yeah. And he said they, he, so the, 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 the guy objected said, you know, I want to, uh, object to, uh, the, the importation charge. And he's like, well, you know, most drugs come from Mexico. So, uh, that's, that's it. It is what it is. <laughs> that's crazy. I, I, I went through that with my own case. I went to trial. I was found guilty of, that's why I use the crack analogy, right? Mm-hmm. I was, I was found guilty of 50 grams or more. The PSI came back, said three kilos of crack. They suggested that the judge sentenced me to life for the drugs, five years for the first 924C, possession of a weapon in furtherance of a drug trafficking crime, and 25 years for the second 924C. The judge ultimately gave me 10 years for the drugs and gave me 30 years for the guns. But he could have gave me life, according to the PSI and what they recommended, although the jury didn't actually make that finding. Well, I'm glad you're here, man. I'm glad you got out. Um, you know what I mean? You're, you're a good dude. You were doing good things in there. You helped over what? 80 people get some relief. I've probably won over a hundred cases and I'm not being arrogant. Um, since I've been out, I'd say probably at least 40, two guys that had life sentences. One was Lonnie Lee Nichols. Another guy was, um, Ronnie Lauderdale. And I just recently won a big case with uh, Ricky Barton. Ricky, I want to tell you a little bit about Ricky Barton, right? Got some mental health problems, drug addict, you know, just just a guy that was had always been down on his on his luck because of his mental health issues. Got addicted to methamphetamine, got wrapped up in a conspiracy. The judge sentenced him to 85 years. He ends up hiring a paralegal firm out of Texas. They write a compassionate release motion for him. It's like eight pages. He loses. They contact me. I go back. I rewrite the motion. It's about 38 pages. We send it in. About two weeks ago, we had his 85-year sentence reduced to 25 years. He's got about 20 years in. He'll be going home in about two years. And, you know, I'm happy about that because this dude was not a big-time drug dealer. Taxpayer dollars should not be paid to put this guy in prison for 20 or 25 years because he just wasn't that big of a threat to the community. He was a drug addict who needed some rehabilitation, who needed some mental health counseling. That's what he needed. And and maybe he did need a little bit of of time in prison, but not – 20 or 25 years, maybe four or five years to get himself straight to start to appreciate his freedom. Cause I think he needed that, but you know, we're definitely over incarcerating our citizens and there's so many people that deserve a second chance, Sean. And honestly, some might never get it. I, 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 I believe that man. I, I absolutely do. So we got some, uh, I'm going to go to the, some of these, uh, comments here. Uh, Alice, uh, Kinsell. Hi, Sean. Hi, Chad. How you doing, Alice? Thanks for stopping by and, and, and tuning in. I really appreciate the support. My friend Cammy. Hi, Cammy. How are you? Uh, Hillary Clarkson, the justice system better look out. Chad's Marks is taking names. She's a great person. I love that lady. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, she seems like she's pretty cool, man. Uh, Alice Kinsell said, wow, when you were talking about um, uh, Parks. What did you say? Was it Kenny Parks? Is that what you said? Uh, Ricky Barton. Ricky Barton. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, HGTHoustonPress.com, News Life Without Parole, Alice Kinsell. So um, what do you – so uh, uh, what do you – what do you – 
think now? Like what, what, what's, what's in store for you now? You're a paralegal, right? You work for yeah. a firm and you're still working on these compassionate releases. You're just starting now to bump into the, uh, the content creation game. What's, uh, what, what's it looking for you, man? What, what do you got coming with the show? Okay. I, uh, well, I have some pretty good relationships with people in the criminal justice system, right? So, like, I have some guys that were, you know, former federal prisoners, got out, went to law school, became lawyers. I'd like to bring them in. I have um, a kid that I really want to get on the show within the next episode or two. He went to prison when he was 18 for bath salts, went to prison, became a drug addict in prison, got out. He's now 25 years old, and he's on the wrong path. I'd like to bring him on because I want to show kids, you know, this is someone they can relate to. He was 18 years old when he went to federal prison, started using opiates in prison, got out, was doing okay, but now he's back on opiates. And, you know, I'm I'm going to help him. That, that's my mission. I want to help him. He, he's a project for me. I definitely want to help him. He's from my city. I want to help him. I, I just recently started a uh, home improvement company. We're putting that together. We hope to hire, you know, formerly incarcerated people because I believe guys that do time, a lot of time, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years, they appreciate things. They say, hey, when I get out of jail, I want to have a job. I want to be normal. I want to meet a good woman and have a life and just be a normal person. And I'm sure women on that side say the same thing. They just want to come out and be mothers and, and, and just be normal law-abiding citizens, but they need opportunities. And, you know, I'm hopeful that I can give an opportunity through, you know, the construction company, home improvement company that we're putting together. I um, co-own Freedom Fighters with Lisa Jacoby, another phenomenal person. She helped save my life. If it wasn't for her, I probably wouldn't be here today. She worked at the Federal Defender's Office for over 22 years in my city. She had wrote me and said, look, I want to help you. I remember you. I'm retired now. She got on board and helped me. We started Freedom Fighters together. And together we've been able to, you know, help, I, I want to say, maybe about 43 people since I've been out. So, you know, we're definitely pushing forward with Freedom Fighters. We're doing compassionate release motions, post-conviction motions. I actually won Russell Simmons' son's case not too long ago. He's back in court on his 2255. I've won numerous 2255s, post-conviction motions. But that's because, Sean, I do the work. And you were in prison, so you know how jailhouse lawyers are. A lot of them guys, you know, not to say bad things, because there are some good jailhouse lawyers. Some of the best I've ever seen are in prison. But, you know, sometimes guys, you know, sell people a drink for potato chips and sodas. And I used to tell people, listen, you don't have an issue. Save your money. If this guy's going to charge you $100 to do your 2255, just go buy some sodas and potato chips for yourself. Because you're just wasting your money, wasting your time. So my mission is to help people, man, not just, you know, kids, but also prisoners, man, people that are walking out. And there's a reason why. I'm going to tell you why. I know what it's like to be in prison suffering because I suffered, Sean. I wasn't being punished. The punishment stopped at about eight years. I started to suffer on my eighth or ninth year. And I had heard plenty of people say, hey, when I get out, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. There were organizations that turned me down and said, we can't help you. You know, you got a, a gun in your case. Yeah, but it's nonviolent. Well, we don't care. You got a gun. We're not in that lane. And I was just praying that someone would help me. And people came around at the right time. It was Amy Pulver from the Can Do Clemency Organization and Lisa Jacoby. And they teamed up. And really, honestly, man, they helped save my life. So I know what it's like for guys to be in there and just wish that someone would help them. And I'd like to help everybody. Unfortunately, there's not enough time in every day to be able to help every single person. But I do try. I do put in the work. I wake up at five in the morning. I was up since five this morning working and I'm here on your show. It's nine something in New York, nine, nine 30, it's nine 30 in New York and I'm still up. 
But, you know, I have a passion because I don't like what the government does to people. I don't like when you take a 24-year-old and send him to prison for 40 years. I deserve to go to prison, but I did not deserve 40 years at the age of 24. Absolutely. I, I, I 100% agree with you. Um, I want to switch back. Well, no, let, let's stay on this lane right here, uh, and then I'll jump back over to where we were. Um, so let's say there's a parent out there who's watching or could be watching this or listening out there, and they've got a, they've got a son that's, you know, going down the wrong path and they don't know what to do. What, what, what words do you have for them? What words do I have for the parent? You know what I would do? I would take the son, just the father and the son or the mother and the son or the father and mother and the son. And you sit them down and you tell them, you let them know, listen, we love you. We care about you because that stuff means something. You know, even when you got bad kids, because I was a bad kid at times. If you just pull that kid to the side and say, listen, I love you. I care about you. There's two roads here. You're going to decide which road you go down. If you go down this road, this is what the end outcome is. And I show them some of the videos, show them some of the blood on the razor wire stories, you know, show them, take them into a courtroom and let them see what happens when you kill somebody. Take them in that courtroom and watch that person get sentenced. See if you can take them to the morgue and show them what the consequences of those actions are if you kill somebody. Take them into that federal courthouse to see a guy that's 25 years old get a life sentence. That's the reality. I think that's what wakes people up. This isn't about scaring people. Scaring doesn't work. 60 days in, all that, that stuff's nonsense. That's not what's really happening. Sit them down and let them know that you love them. And look, we're here for you. We want to see you achieve greatness. But if you go down this road, this is what's going to happen. You know, unfortunately, Sean, some kids are just going to make that choice. Mm -hmm. They're going to make that choice. And the parents, I would tell you, don't be overly harsh because that gets you nowhere. But don't be overly nice either because I think that gets you nowhere. Just be in the middle. Let them know, hey, I love you. I care about you. And this is what it is. You're going to choose whatever road you're going to choose. And think about it. I mean, that that's my approach. And I think it works. I taught a leaders breed leaders class in prison. You know, and I, and I said this before. I would ask the dude, most of the guys in my, in my room would be younger guys, right? And I would ask them, I'd say, what are you worth? And they would tell me, Sean, some guys say, I'm worth a million dollars. I'm, I'm worth 500000 You'd be surprised what some of them would say. Mm-hmm. And I would tell them, I'd say, well, I'm going to tell you what I was worth. I was worth $2,000 on the street. And, they'd be like, and I had a lot of respect in the prison system, right? I taught classes. I was kind of a tough guy. People respected me. And they were like, $2,000. They were shocked. And I said, I was worth $2,000 because when I stood on that corner with a gun in my waist and $2,000 worth of crack in my pocket, I was jeopardizing my life. I was jeopardizing being killed, going to prison. That's what I was worth, $2,000. But now I'm priceless. Now I know my worth. Now I know that there's nothing in this world worth losing my freedom over. And I will never, ever jeopardize that again. Yeah, that's the, I think that's the difference when you got some people that are doing hard time doing, you know, long bids. When they get out, the likeliness of them going back is a lot less than somebody that's, you know, gone for one to five years. Would you would you say that that's that's a, an accurate statement? Say that again. So guys that are sentenced to long bids, right? You know, uh-huh. over 10, 15, 20, 30 years when they do those long bids, when they get out. A lot of the times, you know, they're not, they don't, they don't 
they don't violate, right? Cause they, they don't, they spent so much time there. They don't want to go back versus the guy that gets sent, sentenced to one to five years. You know, sometimes it doesn't work for them. Well, a lot of times when I made it to an FCI to a medium and then finally to a low my last nine months, I've seen people get out and come back. Yeah. I think the more time that you do, you learn to appreciate your freedom. And I think that we should have a system because I'm, I'm sure we both agree. There have to be consequences, you know, for your actions. Mm-hmm. When you make a bad choice, you know, there has to be that or else we live in a lawless nation. But I think we should be taking the guys that got the 20 to 30 year sentences and saying, hey, listen, we got a place for you. This is your second chance. I think we need to get these guys two years of character education, you know, in that time, get their GED, get their high school diploma. I think we need to give them a trade for another two years. I think we need to get them a college degree in two years. Right. So overall, about seven years. So we take a guy and we say, look, you've got 30 years, but you can earn your way out in seven years by doing this program. But if you want to come to prison, you want to stab people, you want to, you know, have your pants hanging off your butt, you want to you want to sell K2 in prison, you want to sell heroin, you want to fight, we got a place for you. We're going to send you over to Big Sandy, and you're going to do your 30 years. Or you can come over here and do the seven years and be back in society and be a productive member of society. That's what I believe. I think that would be an awesome program and the best approach. It's a rehabilitation program. But at the same time, what do we have to do? We need to change the culture in the prison system with the officers, with the administration. And people say, oh, well, how, how could you ever do that? You know, I'm going to tell you how you can do it. You put body cams on the correctional officers, on the guards. I don't even like calling them correctional officers. You put body cameras on these people and make them accountable when they go destroy someone's cell or when they slap someone after they handcuff them or when they punch a prisoner or when they kick them, you know, in the behind when they're in the, in the shoe. You know, hold them accountable. And people are like, oh, they think prisoners are, are animals. Let me tell you something. You see animals like in circuses and stuff like that react to being mistreated, right, being beat. Guys react. People get tired of being trampled on. Mm-hmm. And a lot of federal prisoners, you were in federal prison, you know this, there's more guards in prison that mistreat people than there are that don't mistreat people. They treat us like we're, you know, we're third-class citizens and, you know, it's okay to punish us, but the punishment comes from the court. It shouldn't come from the guards. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. So here's another thing that, that I think that kind of ties into all of this. So, uh, you know, you were, you were selling crack, right? And that's, you got, that's, you got busted for, um, now what, when did you go down? Like what year? I was arrested on February 4th, 2003. And I was released from prison on June 25th, 2020. Okay, so when did when did so you you've heard of uh, Freeway Rick Ross, right? Oh, one hundred percent. Okay, so when did when did all that take place? Was that was that before you or or were yeah, you in that, that era? Okay, so you know a lot of what I think and you know the correlation between the time frames of you know the the Iran Contra thing and when the CIA brought in all that crack cocaine and flooded the inner cities right then you have the and and I may be wrong and you may know you may know a little bit more about this than I do but uh so they flooded the inner cities right they they changed the, the they privatized the prison systems now so now you can you know prisons are for profit and then they also did the 95 crime bill where it you know, doubled the mandatory minimums and everything else. I think all that was done on purpose to fuel the, the, uh, private prison industry and also Unicor. I mean, how that, that, that's a huge industry. They make a lot of money, you know, for a lot of different corporations. 
I mean, it's good for the prisoners. Don't get me wrong. You know, gives them something to do. But it's really not good for the prisoners. I'm no? going to correct you. And I'm going to tell you why. People think this Unicorn program is good for prisoners, right? What they're doing is, oh, yeah, they're keeping them busy. You know, they're sticking them in these sweatshops and they're paying them 25 cents an hour. And guys are like, all right, I made 300 bucks this month. Do you know what 300 bucks a month sounds like to a person in the street? Do you know how far you know how far $300 goes in prison? Yeah, you can buy a bunch of commissary, but by the third week, guess what? You use the phone, you use the computer, you ate about $200 worth of commissary, and the last six or seven days, you're hungry as hell, you're eating crackhead soups, quote, unquote, <laughs> and you know, you're going to the chow hall for every meal, and they got nothing saved. I think dudes should be in college programs, preparing for when they get in the street. I don't think they should be sitting in sweatshops. They're starting to close a bunch of the Unicorn programs. And what they're doing is it's slave labor. To me, it's slave labor. Mm-hmm. You know, you're building government, you know, they're building uh, desks and chairs and their tanks for the military and, you know, military clothing. Yeah, we need the military. We need all that stuff. But they're doing it at 25 cents an hour, 20 cents an hour. You know, I just, I don't agree with it. I'm against it. I'm against that type of stuff. I think we should be teaching people trades getting them college educations, not sticking them in sweatshops. When we talk so bad about all these other countries, how they got these sweatshops in China and, you know, we're mistreating, you know, the people in other countries with the diamond trade, but yet we're taking our prisoners and doing the same thing. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right, man. And so, I mean, how does that, how does that change though? I mean, how do we change that? Because it, it seems like, it seems like this same model is within, it's, it's interwoven within all the fabrics of, of all the major corporations and, and industries in our country from, uh, you've got the, you know, what is it? The big pharma, you know, medical, uh, insurance, yeah. uh, financial, like, all of these huge things and almost like any time that you need a third party to explain something to you because it's so difficult and so, uh, you know, hard to understand there's, there's definitely, you know, corruption and, and, uh, you know, uh, tomfoolery, <laughs> I guess you would say that's going on in there. Right. Yeah. Well, 100%. I mean, there, like I had a job in there, right. My job was to clean the bathroom. I lived in the cell right next to the bathroom my last nine months. I got that job. I told them, I don't want you to pay me. I just want to be on, be able to be in this four man cell with just me and my celly. It's too small for four people. Don't pay me. But I cleaned the bathroom because I used it every day because it was a community bathroom. I wanted it clean. And I took pride in it. And people were like, man, I've never seen this bathroom this clean. So they wanted to pay me, I think, $12 a month to clean the bathroom. Who the hell is going to clean a bathroom for $12 a month and make it look nice or take care of it so that it's really actually usable? Nobody, unless you take pride and say, look, I use this bathroom, so I'm going to keep it clean. I just think, yeah, everything everything in that system is, is a trickery. They trick people. They have to. But you know why they have to trick people, Sean? Why? Because there's more of us than them. Mm. If they don't have mind control over us, you know, and I'm not, you know, inciting any riots or telling anyone to do anything wrong. But, I mean, we would take over the prison, right? Together we'll conquer as one will fail. But as long as they can keep us against each other, arguing and fighting, then we can never help each other. We can never come together. And that's their mission because they have to control the prison system. Well, that's not only their mission in prison. That's their mission out on the streets, too. If you I mean, if you really if you really st- step and take a look at it, you know, from all the division tactics, you know, that, that take place, uh, you know, in our society today. I mean, it really is uh, a rich man's trick. 
and I'm interviewing a guy from uh, who who did this uh, documentary. His name's Francis Richard Connolly, and his documentary was uh, from JFK to 9/11. Everything's a rich man's trick. And he goes through, it's a three and a half hour documentary. I, I suggest all of you go out and take a look at this documentary because it really paints the picture of how we got to where we are today and, and how everything is our reality. Our reality is literally inverted, right? What we think really isn't. And when you, when you really get to understand that and you see that in prison, I really believe that there's a reason they take our gun rights away when we get out because we've, we've been behind the wall and we see what's going on. You know, if anybody has a, a reason to take up arms, it's the people that have been incarcerated in certain, in certain, uh, uh, circumstances, right? Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, listen, our forefathers gave us those rights, right? They didn't say, Hey, you know, if you commit a felony or you commit a crime, we're going to take these rights from you. But the government has worked themselves into the position where they do that now, where you don't have your gun rights. They also said no taxation without representation. You know, now people are starting, felons are able to vote in certain states, stuff like that. But for so long, people were paying taxes, yet you couldn't vote for your representative. Why? Because you had a felony. And, you know, the thing about the 1994 crime bill and controlling people and all that stuff what is that book by Michelle Alexander, The New Jim Crow? Yeah, yeah. I suggest that people read that book because it's true. It's, it, it's true. I mean, this system is designed to keep people down, to keep people from educating themselves, from getting out of prison, you know, and doing the right thing because it was a machine. It kept things going. But the public is starting to realize. The public is starting to realize that these things are wrong, that people are being over-incarcerated. Their tax dollars are being wasted on over-incarcerating people. I believe there's, you know, and I'm not saying not on anything political. I'm not saying I'm a big fan of Joe Biden because really I'm not. But I do believe that there are big, there are big things coming with the criminal justice system with Joe Biden in the form of clemency, in the form of sentencing changes, because he knows, he owes. And, and you know, not to offend anybody, but the black community came out and voted for him in droves. And they should have, right? And he knows that he owes now. And I, I believe that he's going to pay. I believe that he's going to pay. He's going to change some of the wrongs that he's done because he has to. Well, I hope you're. I hope you're right. I don't. I'm not as optimistic as you are. Uh, well, I happen to know. I happen to know a few things. Let's yeah, just say yeah. that. Uh, so it's. Uh, yeah, I, I hope so, man. Um, it's you know it's ridiculous and it needs to change and there's a lot of things that need to change and I really want to I I really want to get in on that million man march you're talking about uh, going to Washington tell me a little bit about that well really I want it to be a million advocate march right uh -huh. and I want to work with Janet Lee and Amberly Taylor on um, Thomas Freeme really what we want to do is we want to pull people together we want to go down there we want to hold Joe Biden accountable we want him to hear our voices like I said we must become the change that we seek to see. I wanted to put that together. I've been trying to put it together, but you know what's holding it up is the COVID-19. Mm. How many people are not going to come? You know, what's going to happen if we get a million people down there? It's probably not going to happen until things, you know, work out with the whole COVID-19 stuff because we don't want to be down there infecting people and, you know, having anybody die on our, you know, our watch, so to speak. So I would love to do it in April. That, that was what our original plan was, but I think it's going to be pushed back a little bit. But we're definitely focusing on something that I want to do. And I think it's something that's important. And I think that, we, you know, people should come out. People should come out and support that movement, not just regular folks. But let's get some people down there. I know you remember the uh, woman, what was the Women's March right after Trump was uh, elected? 
who went down there? Madonna. Mm-hmm. Remember Madonna got on stage and she started to swear and told Trump, hey, F you, whatever, on the stage. I mean, we need some important faces down there. Let them voices be heard because everybody's affected by the criminal justice system. And like you spoke about earlier, the first step back, Congress, President Trump, everybody said these laws were wrong and that they shouldn't apply to people coming in. But they didn't apply to the people like myself that were suffering mm-hmm. under those laws, right? They changed the 924C. They changed the 851. They said, this is wrong. These are grotesque sentences. But what we're not going to do is make them retroactive for the people already in prison. That has to change immediately. People should be standing up for that. I mean, we see people out here marching, protesting when, you know, unarmed people are shot and killed, unarmed black men are shot and killed. Well, there's unarmed black men being killed every day in federal courtrooms, you know, like I've said before. That people should be out protesting about this. People should let their voice be heard because that stuff's wrong. If it's wrong for people getting arrested now, then it's wrong for the people that are sitting in there, like the Joseph Mesas and the Ian Owenses, the Navarro Brooks. Navarro Brooks got 150 years. Ian Owens has got 300 years. These guys are suffering under these laws. They didn't kill anybody. They deserve to be out of prison, but yet they're still sitting in there. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, what do you think about the fact that you can buy marijuana – uh, in damn near, well, how many states is it now? I mean, I can go and get some, I can go into a dispensary right now and, and purchase marijuana over the, over the counter. Um, but you still have how many people, I know you probably know some people too, that are in there for, you know, years still, right? Well, let, I mean, to speak on that, my best friend was Jimmy Romans. He was in federal prison, had life for marijuana. He ended up getting his sentence reduced to 30 years. I wrote his clemency petition while we were in prison. We sent it to Lisa Jacoby. She typed it up, put everything together, and Jimmy Romans was released, one of the 72 or 73 people that got clemency, not pardons, but one of the 73 that got clemency, and he walked out of prison. I've met numerous people in federal prison that had astronomical sentences. Joe Walcott, old man, had um, Parkinson's disease. He had a bunch of problems. 23 years for marijuana. His son was a wide receiver for the Tennessee Titans. Um, I wrote his case in prison. We sent it off to Brandon Sample. Brandon Sample touched it up, went to court. He won. He's now free. So, yeah, I've seen some absolutely ridiculous you know, sentences for marijuana. And, yes, there are still people sitting in there with life sentences for weed. Yeah, and, and to to add insult to injury on that one, that you can't even you can't even get back into the industry that you were in once you get out because they've made it so difficult and the the uh, the path to entry for getting into the marijuana industry almost impossible for a felon. <laughs> you know why? Why? Because there's big money involved, and they don't want you to make it. Yeah, they want all them upper class people to make all the money. It's their business now. Yeah. So would you, I, I think it would be fair to say that, you know, uh, w- with all of the people, you know, in, in like the last year, you know, and, you know, talking about, you know, racism and, and all of these other things, like I, I haven't seen overt racism in years. I, I mean, seriously, years. Well, I, I haven't heard somebody call another, call a black person the, the N word since I was probably in junior high. And that was a long time ago, right? That just comes in straight overtly, you know, oh yeah, that dude's a racist. Now maybe in the South, it might be a little bit different, but you know, up in California, I, that's almost, that, that's almost gone. But what I do think is that we are, we, we live in a hierarchy, man. We are in a class system and they use racism to cloak that. 
So people start thinking that, oh, well, yeah, it's a you know, racist, racist. And it's like, no, man, it's, this is a class system. And, you know, they're, they're, they're slowly but surely squeezing the middle class into the, in, into the, to the lower class, into, in, into that, that lower thing. So, I mean, it is happening. I, I, I do see it. I watch a lot of stuff. I, I follow a lot of things and, uh, you know, it's really, it, it, it it's frustrating. Definitely frustrating. So I got some more stuff here. Uh, there's a lot of comments. Um, I'm going to pick up right from, uh, Jordan Barnes. Jordan is actually has a book too. He, uh, one hit away. He was a heroin addict, uh, in, you know, that got, that got clean, uh, with the long treatment center. And uh, he's been on the show as well. Uh, Jordan, how you doing, man? Thank you for stopping by. I'm, I'm glad you're, uh, you're, you're tuning in. Alice Kinzel left another long one. She said, my brother was convicted by a Jim Crow jury. It was nine to three and he had been signed by the jury, but the prosecutor told the judge that he needed to explain to the jury what they needed to do to get a conviction. So the jury was pre-polled in the courtroom and it came back 10 to two guilty as charged sentenced to life without parole for a crime. He did not commit. Wow. I, I, that's, that sucks, man. And I'm sorry that, that, uh, that happened to you. And hopefully, you know, we can start making some more changes there. Uh, that's, there's a lot of people that are sitting in there that are wrongfully convicted. I believe. Another one says, sorry, I meant the American Rescue Act, uh, has 30 million in harm reduction services. And then, and four billion to mental health and substance use disorder programs. So yeah, like I said, hopefully, hopefully he, he keeps with his, his promise and he, you know, rectifies, you know, what he helped put into action in 94. I'm pretty sure that's coming, you know, yeah. I, I just, I communicate with some people. I know they're working on some stuff down there at the White House. And- yeah. Congress has put some things together and we're going to see it. Yep. Uh, Amy Pova, you mentioned her. She was on my show, uh, too, at some point, uh, probably, probably earlier, probably about a year, a year ago. So, well, that's my girl, man. I love her. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. She's Not great. My girlfriend, but like my, you know, yeah, she's, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I do. I, what I, you're I saying. Love her, man. She, she did a lot for me when no one else would. It was Amy Pova that stood up for me. Yeah, I see her all over, man. She's definitely, uh, doing, doing, she's, she's putting her, her, uh, her money where her mouth is. That's for sure. Um, so tell me about your book before we get out of here. Cause we're at 53 minutes right now. Okay. Um, the book is blood on the razor wire. Your, you know, your, your people can go on amazon.com and get the book. Um, I suggest they read the first three chapters on there for free. I promise you will not be disappointed and you will want to read more. I wrote that book because I had read so many books in prison and these guys were in like minimum securities, low security prisons. They were never in the prisons that I was in, never experienced the things that I experienced, like what me and dog talked about on my um, blood on the razor wire TV show. They never experienced those things. I wanted the public to see what's really going on because there's so many misconceptions about federal prison. You know, the book is violent. It's, it's emotional. I speak about, you know, my ex-wife in the book and, you know, how it hurt me. I talk about, you know, when I was sentenced and I look back and see my mom starting to cry and, and I wondered, hey, you know, will I ever see her again? It's just, it's an emotional book and it takes you through my life, not just through prison, but through my life and what took me to federal prison. And it takes you on a ride through federal prison. You know, and like I said, it's, it is violent because that's what's really happening. 
I had a celly in there that stabbed the CO over a gallon of wine. He made some homemade wine and the CO took it and he told me, hey, I'm going to stab this guy. And I was just like, yeah, right. Sure you are. And he's like, no, I'm going to stab him. And sure enough, he stabbed the, the, the garb. So, you know, I, you know, like I said, I've seen some really bad things in there, but I've also seen some really good people in there too. And I've seen some really good people get out of prison and do great things. And I see some really good people in there that never, ever will walk out of prison. And they deserve to come out. So, you know, check out the book, Blood on the Razor Wire. You will not be disappointed. And my YouTube channel, definitely, you know, go on there, hit that subscribe button. we got a lot of good content coming. It's not just interviews, but we're going to do some lives where I actually answer questions about the law, the criminal justice system, um, anything legal, compassionate release motions, you know, problems with your kids, you know, what I would suggest. You know, things like that. You know, it's it's a program to help people. So, you know, hit that subscribe button. I promise not to disappoint you and to always keep you interested. Yeah, and I can attest to that, man. I, I can't wait for more. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I'm a fanboy. <laughs> I appreciate you. I'm a fan of yours. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate that too. And I'm, and I'm so happy that we were able to connect, uh, you know, even cause like I said, we were on the peripheral of each other and I would see you like in the corner of my eye and on posts and doing things. And, and I, like I said, I didn't know that you, that you were on this lane. So I'm, I'm very happy that I was able to, uh, you know, connect with you and hopefully that you and I can help elevate each other to another level of where we're trying to go. Definitely. And I, you know, I know you've seen the posts. I don't want you to, I don't want people to think that my posts were arrogant. I was angry at some of these so-called prison advocates. Every time I won a case, I would post things and tell them, look, I get mine the hard way. I get mine the long way, not from going to the White House and bagging people. I get it in the courtrooms from sitting in this room right here, 13, 14 hours a day, digging in the books, digging in the computer and going in there and winning cases so I can help change lives and reunite fathers with sons and mothers with daughters, man. And that's important to me. At the end of the day, I, I get, I'm happy about it, man. That's what I like doing. When you've seen Alice Johnson run across that street, when Donald Trump released her on clemency, don't ever forget that because that's what it really is. That's what it really feels like. And I want other people to feel the same thing that she felt. Awesome, man. That's great. I love everything that you're saying. Uh, and I also have, do you, do you have any federal attorneys that you, that, that, uh, that would would will talk to you because I have one that I had that was talking about the conspiracy charge out of DC yeah. and he's a criminal defense uh, uh, federal attorney. Oh yeah, I got some I got some really good friends. Um, I'm really good friends with Brandon Sample, former federal prisoner, went home, became a lawyer. In my view, he is the best post conviction attorney in the country. That's my view. Um, I also have a pretty good relationship with Sean Hopwood, former federal prisoner. Left prison, became a law, became a lawyer, law professor at Georgetown. Really good guy, phenomenal guy. Does a lot of great work. You know, trailblazer on the compassionate release. Just, just a really good guy. Harlan Protus out of New York, phenomenal attorney. Hopefully, I can bring some of these guys on the show. I was actually represented in my case by John Gleason. He's a former federal prosecutor. He is the guy that prosecuted John Gotti. Became a federal lawyer for over a uh, federal judge in New York for over twenty years. Um, stepped down from the bench because he was tired of, you know, having to give people these mandatory minimums. And he is, to, in my view, the number one guy why 924C was changing the First Step Act. He started this with the Holloway case many, many years ago in 2011. And I'm forever grateful to him and, you know, the people down there in New York, Marisa Taney and the rest of Elizabeth Costello. Phenomenal, phenomenal people. Awesome, man. Well, great. Uh, dude, I'm, I'm so happy that we were able to do this again. Uh, any, any burning desires before we cut out of here? 
burning desires, man. There's a lot of people that are stuck in prison. Like I said, Joseph Mesa, um, Ian Owens, Christopher Hunter, dear friend of mine, 35 years, Bradley Barr, sentenced to 20 years under an 851, one of the laws that they changed, but yet he can't get out. You know, there's just, uh, there's just so many people that deserve a second chance. And for the people that are tuning in, like the lady that has a brother in prison, don't ever stop fighting. You know, justice is always possible if you never give up. And that was my motto in prison. It was my long walk to freedom, like Nelson Mandela, right? It was my long walk to freedom. It took me 17 years, five months, and 21 days. But I walked out of prison only because I never gave up. That's great, man. I, I love that. I love what you just said. So, everybody... Go follow Chad Marks on all of his social media that I have and uh, everything is in the description. All the direct links to his book, to his uh, YouTube channel, to uh, Blood on the Razor Wire, the, the, the episode that, that brought me into, to wanting to, you know, track him down and, and like say, Hey man, I see you, man. I see you. Uh, I, I see what you're doing and I really appreciate it. So follow him. Go subscribe. Do all of that stuff, man. You will not be disappointed. Uh, he's definitely a guy that is walking the walk, talking the talk, and, uh, and a stand-up dude, man. Thank you for all that you're doing, and uh, I appreciate you. I appreciate you. All right, so I'm going to pull you out of here. Hold on one second, and we're going to take, take us out of here. All right, thanks, Chad. Wow. That was a great story and a great interview, man. I, I can, I can't say enough about how, how cool I think this dude is, man. Um, so if you got any questions, if you want to reach out to the show and you want to, uh, make suggestions, you got suggestions for a, a guest that you want to see on this show, uh, go to the email down there below me, uh, nowhere to go but up now at gmail.com and, uh, send me a, drop me a line, man. Uh, tell me how I'm doing. If you like something that I'm doing, you don't like something I'm doing, let let me know where I can improve or, or, or what I can do. Also, uh, all the ways to connect to the show right there on my link tree, um, all from all my social media to merchandise, to my Patreon, uh, to, you know, if you just want to give me a tip and say, Hey man, I love what you're doing. I'm going to drop you 10. Uh, you can do that on my uh, PayPal Venmo. All of those things are available in my link tree right there. Um, but the best way I think where you're going to get the best value for your money and, and trying to, uh, support this show is over on Patreon in the subscription model. You know, for a buck, you can, you can, you know, get some updates there, but for $3, you can actually get, uh, uncut, unedited, un, untouched versions of like 47 episodes that I have in my queue right now, they're going to hit there first. And, uh, yeah, for sure. I would say that's the best way. If you want to get into the $5 tier, then that's a good one. You can actually come on monthly for, with me on a show just like this, uh, for my patron patrons only. So if that's something that you're into, go on over to the Patreon page and uh, become a subscriber. Help me do, uh, you know, keep doing this because um, it's something that I enjoy doing. It's something I love doing and it's something that I hope to be able to turn into a full-time gig for myself at some point. So thanks again, everybody, for joining the broadcast and, you know, coming and seeing uh, and supporting what I'm doing. And until next time, 
I've got like six, I think five or six more of these coming, uh, this week alone. So like I said, big things coming this week, really busy. I've got, you know, six more of these live streams, uh, coming at you. Pay attention to my Facebook profile page. And as soon as I schedule them, you will know exactly what, what the guest is and, and when it's going to be. So take a look at that. The comments that came up, I will try and, uh, put those up here, uh, right. Right now, so what do we got? Uh, great interview from uh, Jenny Morales. Thank you, Jenny. I appreciate it. Alice Kinzel, another one. John Kinzel, I will never give up. Uh, Jordan Barnes, never give up 100%. Thank you, Jordan. I love what you're doing, too. Uh, never give up. Jeffrey and Alice again. Thanks, Chad. I hope to see you again. Thank you, Sean. Now that I've met you both, I'm a big fan. Thank you. I appreciate that, and I'm sure Chad appreciates that as well. Hillary Clarkson said this is awesome. Jordan Bards again, dope show. Alice, you're doing great. Until next time, everybody, keep safe, keep it 100, stay true to yourself. You've been listening to the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. Sean is a single dad, a union blue collar guy, and he spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. When he was released from prison in 2006, all he had was the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and some paperwork. Since then, he's turned his life around and shares the struggles and successes on this podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we hope you were moved to connect to the show. Book a guest spot. For merch, Patreon, PayPal, and social media links, go to linktr.ee slash nowhere to go but up. On Instagram at nowhere to go but up now. On Twitter at but up now. On the YouTube channel at nowhere to go but up podcast. See you next time.